Weighing Machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market glamour to find the time-tested principles that help investors succeed. The Weighing Machine is inspired by the classic investing saying attributed to Benjamin Graham. The stock market is a voting machine in the short term and a weighing machine over the long run. In other words, emotion and expectations drive short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations determine returns over time. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. Enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think. On the podcast today, how to conquer risk through quantitative investing. We will also discuss tactical investing and why we need to think creatively as investment professionals. That's with our guest, Manish Kata, President and Chief Investment Officer of Potomac Fund Management. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. I'm Rusty Vanneman. And I'm Robin Murray. Okay, let's start with a look at the markets. Rusty, what are you watching for at the moment? Well, in short, we are recording this in the middle of August. And again, the markets are up. Stock markets are up. One thing that isn't up is the bond market. We've seen interest rates have a pretty nice bounce off their, their recent lows. Let's see. So inflation data is up. We're watching that. COVID cases, regretfully, are up. We're watching that. Sentiment is down. Watching that. But you know, the markets just keep moving higher. Well, I do want to ask you something. And now this is kind of off the wall, but you know, I like to throw this out to you sometimes. And this has just been on my mind. It's about climate change. And because it's just been, you know, a really crazy summer weather-wise all around the world. I'm here in England recording this right now. And there's been flooding in London. In Omaha, we've seen wild storms, record flooding, excessive heat. There's wildfires in Canada. You know, it's just everywhere. And so it just seems like climate change is, you know, it's not a far off reality anymore. It's, it's happening now. So I'm just thinking in terms of investing and as a long-term investor and money manager specifically, what do you think we should be looking at in terms of incorporating the impact of climate change into our portfolio decisions? I mean, is this something that we should be planning for now? Okay, this is why I think you're asking this question, because obviously you're a global traveler yep. and you missed last week's podcast and last week's podcast was on sustainable investing. Oh, well, there you go. We talked about these things. I know. So you're just getting even at me. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right. So let me talk about it from an investment perspective. I think everybody has their method of investing and we're going to be talking to Manish and, and his style as well. I mean, some people look at price. Price will tell you what to do. Some people look at valuations that will determine what they do. Some people think about in terms of risk management. So this is an important topic and a lot of people are asking questions about it. You know, one thing I think that is interesting, let me take it from an ETF perspective too. There are a couple exchange traded products out there, which are kind of a play on like carbon allowances. And they are, what I think is fascinating, first of all, the performance has been pretty amazing, both for this year and the last 12 months, but investor interest hasn't been that robust for them. It's like a lot of these type of investing approaches. There's a lot of talk about it, but a lot of investors are not getting into it. Either way, it's a provocative topic. And it's great to have a guest on our show who is very provocative in his own right. We're going to have a lot of fun on this podcast today. All right. Well, let's bring him in. Our guest today is Manish Kata, President and Chief Investment Officer of Potomac Fund Management. Manish, welcome to The Weighing Machine. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to get going and, and have a great chat here. Well, we do have a lot to talk about today. But before we dive in, I'm going to hand it over to Rusty for the all-important question. It is the all-important question. And that is... 
What is your walk-up song, Manish? We need to imagine we can hear this song in the background as you're coming up here. You even told me this ahead of time. <laughs> and I, there's a DMX song. Like I'm, I'm a child of, I'm an 80s baby and grew up on hip hop and Mike Tyson and this DMX song that just gets you so hype and ready to go. I can't believe I'm, I'm forgetting the name here. But anyway, Mike Tyson came out to this song in one of his big fights. And it's, it's just, I used to listen to this before conference presentations just to get your blood boiling, but that's my choice. <laughs> that is a tease. First of all, we're going to have to find out what that song is because we need to put it in the show notes. And also, believe it or not, just this past week, Ben Baskey, who's an analyst here at OPS, he made a playlist of all these walk-up songs. Very exciting. So we need to make sure this song is on that playlist. Yeah, I'll get it. I apologize. It'll be in the show notes. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, Manisha, I do want to ask you about you, and that is your background here. So I was reading about you, and on the Potomac website, it says that you are a lifelong Potomac employee. So what does that mean exactly? <laughs> yeah, this is uh, actually my first job out of college. I wanted to be a sports agent. I went to the University of Maryland. My dream was to be a sports agent. I graduated school a little early and I got into law school and I was waiting to start law school. My parents were overseas at the time in India visiting family. My dad tells me, look, you're not going to sit at home and drink with your friends for the next nine months. Go get a job. And my brother hands me the classifieds. Obviously, this is, you know, I'm dating myself, but he hands me the classifieds and circles Potomac Fund Management and says, just go apply. Work there for nine months and then quit and go to law school. And that's what I did. So I started at Potomac and kind of was, you know, in the back office trading. I had a, a small programming background. So I helped program some of the quant systems that we, we launched back in the day. And I ended up just falling in love with the industry, falling in love with the markets and have been there since. And over the years have, you know, incremental shares of the company. And, and finally, um, about three years ago, took over 100% of the firm. Well, tell us more about Potomac, its history and, and what does it stand for? So Potomac is a what's called a third-party investment strategist. So we create models that other advisors can access either through our, our own software system and back office system or other TAMPs that are out there. And as we've evolved over the years, we've you know launched our own TAMP as well to help advisors you know solve the back office problem. That's where a lot of the you know, we know each other through the Orion connection, of course. So as a tactical manager, we kind of pride ourselves on being able to mitigate risk. Sometimes when you have the markets that you're in right now, people forget about risk management, right? Because why bother, you know, just buy and let it rip. But Potomac is born out of that risk management tactical methodology and providing those models to financial advisors. Now, another way that you describe yourself is a math geek, a quant or a quantitative analyst. Can you talk about how that figures into your investment philosophy and process? Yeah, you know, question earlier about um, climate change and ESG and all these things. And, and sometimes I'm flipping about the whole topic, but I literally just don't care about anything. I only care about price. It doesn't matter what the underlying asset is. And I don't care about company earnings. I don't care about earnings calls. None of that matters to me. I want to buy high and sell higher whatever the asset class is. And that's where the quant side comes in. We're very unemotional. And I, I get in trouble because you do conferences and meetings and journalists always you know, try to get you to answer questions like, what do you think about you know, the tariffs? And I don't even bother trying to answer it. I just, my answer is always like, I don't know, I don't care. And no one else does either, right? Just follow price and there's truth in price. Right. Tesla, whatever you want to say about that company, who knows what they're making, how much money they're making. Right. Enron cooking books. It's all in price. So why do you need anything else when price is where the truth is? I think it's really well said. So, you know, I think when you say like buy high, 
So it's going to go higher. I think a lot of people think, wow, that sounds like a really risky strategy, but your firm is all about conquering risk. And you describe yourself as a believer in containing and, and conquering investment risk using quantitative trading systems. So as an investment manager, how do you define risk? So for us, risk comes down to maximum drawdown. That's the one statistic that we always talk about. And for those that don't know, max drawdown just peak to trough declines because that is the true experience that, that the client is going to have to endure. There's a lot of other risk statistics, but they can be skewed because they don't really take into account extreme highs and extreme lows. But maximum drawdown is something that once you incur, you're not going to walk away from. So if you have a strategy that has incurred a 50% maximum drawdown, for example, you got to be comfortable going through that again, right? That brings it back to a lot of the tech stocks that are going on now. And even Bitcoin, for example, there's nothing wrong with any of these stocks as long as you're willing to tolerate what the maximum loss is. And unfortunately, some people don't realize their tolerance for loss until it's too late. But our job is to educate people on what that maximum drawdown is, because that's what the investment has incurred at one point in history. And that should be the experience you're comfortable with going forward. All right. So you mentioned you're a tactical investor. So to kind of set the stage, how do you define what is tactical investing and, and why do you think investors should consider tactical investing? I like that question because prior to 2008, and Russell, you would know this, there weren't a lot of tactical shops out there, right? And then after that, everyone started releasing these tactical models. And there's different kinds. I think it was AssetMark or one of those firms that did it in the past where they called them constrained and unconstrained. And I really love that way of looking at tactical. You have constrained tactical that makes minor adjustments kind of on, on the fringes, right? Like you maybe increase oil to 6% and decrease staples or something like that, where you're just making these adjustments. And then you have unconstrained tactical managers that will literally go to 50% cash, 100% cash, and are getting in and out of the market. Now, they get a bad rap because they get the whole market timing doesn't work. And it does work. It, you just have to see how we know how to do it and follow a process. So to me, true tactical investing is approaching it with a risk mindset, having the comfort level to exit positions, go to cash, raise cash when you need to be, but then also get back in the market when your signals turn positive. So I guess you, I mean, I'm kind of thinking about my next question here. You sort of answered it, but okay, let's just say hypothetically, you can't manage your own money and you had to pick another tactical manager to manage your money. What would you look for? What qualities in their system, their setup, their procedure would you be looking for? What makes a good tactical strategy? It has to be the track record because I've been in this business so long that I've seen graveyards full of tactical managers who release a strategy. They attach some hypothetical made up track record to it. It's legal and they sell it. And what happens is different environments hit them and the whole thing falls apart. So the track record is the number one thing I would look at. If your tactical record has gone through multiple bear markets, not just bear markets, but multiple bull markets, and because no bear and bull are the same. So if you can get that track record that has experienced those different cycles and the track record's still in place, I think that's the, the number one thing I would hang, hang my hat on. I also want to ask you, Manish, about some of the creative content that you guys produce, because Potomac is not really just an RIA, it's also a creative digital media firm. So why do you think it's important for people in the investment industry specifically to be thinking about creative multimedia? 
as a small RIA, and we're growing now, we're getting much, much bigger, but I was faced with a dilemma as an owner. The conference circuit, this is pre-pandemic, right? You pay $100,000, you go to a conference, you get a booth, you get 300 names of advisors, you dial and smile. It's very inefficient and the returns were diminishing over the years. And so I was faced with the dilemma, how do I get in front of advisors? I'm a Gary Vaynerchuk fan. A lot of his thoughts uh, we incorporated in our business and we said, look, we got to put a content first strategy in place where you deliver as much content as humanly possible in a public forum, not behind a gate or a paywall, not in PDFs, but out there. And what that allows you to do is when advisors are looking for you, whether it's a Google search or even asking for information, you can quickly send them links. They can access you in different forums. And that has been the springboard to our success because the pandemic hit and I gathered with my team and I said, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. This is And I don't mean to be to downgrade the fact that it's a horrible pandemic, but from a company point of view, we were already remote before the pandemic. We were already 100% remote. And I said, this is where we got to push the pedal to the metal. We have a content library. Let's push it and distribute it out. So rather than hire wholesalers, which we don't have, I hired marketing people. I created a marketing agency inside of Potomac, a brand designer, an SEO email guy, a copywriter that's coming on board. And we said, we're going to push asset distribution this way, the new way, the transparent way, following things like ARC and Kathy Wood, where you're just constantly pushing out content that answers investors' questions about what you do. On that point, you do have your own podcast called Conquer Risk, which is also available on YouTube. And as one would expect, it you're doing a lot of cool and fun stuff on it. I mean, I think it's funny, it's educational, it's edgy. You have topics such as uh, the Potomac Couch, industry gossip, who charted. I mean, what's your motivation or strategy behind the podcast? Traditional old school marketing, there's always campaign that leads to conversions or leads, right? Everyone judges things on, if I spend $20,000 on this, how many leads, prospects, clients did I get out of that? And I think that's a wrong way to look at marketing in the future. A lot of marketing just needs to be eyes on brand, where you are putting out content that engages the audience, that gets people talking, because the content is there, right? If they want to find out about Potomac and what we do, it's not far, right? They go to their website or YouTube channel, they'll get a ton of information. But we wanted a lot of our marketing just to be eyes on brand. Let's get conversations started. Let's be out there as thought leaders. And also, let's put ourselves out there as having fun. I think there's a lot of people in this industry in asset management that would like to say what they truly feel about certain investments, but they don't because of the corporate red tape that people have them have the tape over their mouth about what they truly feel. And I think that guard needs to change. And I think it is changing. I think the future of asset management is openness, transparency, raw truth, whether your client or investor likes it or not. I think we take the approach, we're going to lay it all on the table. We're going to tell you exactly how it is. And either you like it or not. And we're okay with whatever decision you make. So, I mean, I guess that would also apply to, I mean, you're really active on social media too, and you're definitely not pulling any punches there. Your social media strategy is the same thing. Transparent, let it all hang out, make people think. Yeah, I would say it's not really a strategy. It's just real life. Like if I'm going to sit next to you at a bar, I'm going to talk to you the same way I'm going to talk to you on social media. There's no planned strategy. I just let my staff act the way they want to act. Obviously, look, there's certain rules we got to abide by, right? We're not putting performance data out there. We don't talk about our strategies. But if you feel a certain way about something, knock yourself out. We want people to feel that when they ask us a question, they're going to get the truth 
without any incentive attached to it. I just want people to be honest and roll with the punches. And as you said, Manish, you are um, an industry thought leader. So I do want to get your thoughts on what you're thinking about in terms of industry trends and direction currently. I uh, was talking to someone the other day, actually yesterday, one of my industry folks, and he had asked me, we're in a unique position because we're an asset manager, but because we also run a TAMP, asset managers reach out to us. And so he was asking me, you know, what are asset managers doing? Like when they reach out to you, what, what do they talk about? How are they distributing their product to you? And then I told him, I said, 75% of the calls I get from asset managers are asking me about marketing. They're asking me about how to distribute their product because everything has dried up. There are no more conferences where you can have the monkey behind the booth. That stuff is gone. And is it going to come back? I don't know. I mean, I canceled all our conferences for the rest of the year. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But they're very curious about how to distribute in this new world. And I think it's this battle between the owner of the company that still wants to hold things in, you know, no one wants to get the secret sauce versus the up and coming folks who are on social and want to distribute and be transparent. So I get a ton of calls about like, what are you doing? Like, how do you put the content out there? How do you distribute it? You have a small team, but you're distributing content like you're a multi-billion dollar firm. And so that comes across my desk all the time. I get it. It makes a lot of sense. All right, let's shift it back to the markets now. So how are you currently looking at the global markets? I have a guess, and she say you're following price, but what are you thinking about the markets right now, both the stock and bond markets? Yeah, I mean, I to my point earlier, like, you know, making predictions is for the birds, right? It's not something that, that I'm going to get involved in. But right now, the trend is still positive. So I think we spend too much time trying to come up with reasonings and rationales behind it. Who really cares what the, what the rationale is, right? I mean, you can sit here and make a million different arguments about cash on the sidelines, even though there's probably not much on the sidelines, low interest rates, corporate profits are soaring. I can make any number of arguments as to why we are here. But this is where we are. And as long as this trend continues in this direction, I, I think you have to be invested until it says otherwise. Last year's blip that got turned around real quickly. I mean, listen, every minor decline since 2009 have been bought up, right? 2011, what do we have? 17% in 12 days or something obnoxious, it got bought up. 15, 16 declines got bought up. So every decline is getting bought up and the trend consistently is higher with money chasing stocks higher. And you can either scratch your head and wonder why or you can buy the market. All right. So one of my favorite questions, and even though it's one of my favorite questions, Robin's been taking it the last <laughs> few podcasts. So she's let me have it back. Thank you. Is in your own words, what do you think makes a good financial advisor? You talked to lots of them. In your opinion, what do you think makes a good advisor? I'm going to come back. I mean, it's going to sound like a broken record, but this is what I truly believe. Honesty and transparency. Don't sell people. People hate to be sold. A lot of times, even with my own staff, Early on when they start and I see them posting something like, hey, check out our growth strategy. It's great for yada, yada, yada. That is the worst you can possibly do. Like no one, people in general do not want to be sold. Look at their situation, address it and help them if you can. But if you can't, let go of them. Let them go somewhere else. We always say treat the same client coming in as you would someone who's not a fit. And be open about that because a lot of times it's expectations more than anything, right? Most clients really don't care about performance and tracking so well. You know, they, they want to reach their goals and they want that expectation that the expectational investing side of it will be there. So I think it, it just comes back to being honest and transparent as much as you can. 
Cool. Now, what do you think makes a good investor? You know, somebody who's investing in the markets, what are the qualities that make somebody good at that and investing? Yeah, this is an interesting question because sometimes the best investor are the ones who are hands off to the point where they let the professional do their work, but not so hands off that they're not paying attention to what's going on. So I think it's that middle ground where you want to have your quarterly or annual meetings to make sure that everything's on the up and up. But at the same time, you're not going to get anywhere nitpicking certain allocations or always questioning what your advisor is doing. If you feel comfortable in that relationship and the goals are set, then I think someone who's you know hands off is probably going to end up in a better situation. All right. So if, aside from your own podcast and all your social content that you're creating in yourself, what do you think a financial advisors or investors should be listening to or reading? I love podcasts. I think advisors in general and investors need to find their top five or 10 podcasts to follow and take that content in. It's, it's ad-free. It's someone's original thoughts. It's not manipulated by media. It's just pure. And to me, if you can find a good group of podcasts that fill your calendar, that that's where I would be putting putting all my intention in personally. I think that's the best way to get content. We live in such a great, for all the bitching and moaning, we live in such a great time to be able to access any content you want at the on your phone whenever you want. I think it's pretty amazing. All right. Well, Manisha has been really a great conversation. Great to have you on the show. How can listeners learn more about you and about Potomac? Potomacfund.com is the website. We're on every social channel. You can find us on YouTube follow us. Be sure to like and subscribe to our channels. That's where we put out a lot of information and keep uh, part of the process. Yeah, Manish, I'd like to say thanks for coming on the show too. Again, I've been following your stuff. You are definitely doing things differently than other people. I think it's really cool. It's fun. Sometimes I can't believe some of the stuff you guys are actually saying. It's like, I wish I could say that, (laughs) but I love it. So keep it up. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Rusty, take us out with your final words. Stay balanced and stay the course. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to The Weighing Machine. And thank you for your time and trust in Orion Advisor Solutions. The Weighing Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Strategist at Orion Advisor Solutions, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have feedback or questions about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty at orion.com. All opinions expressed by Rusty Vanneman and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and don't reflect the opinion of or endorsement by Orion, its affiliate subsidiaries, and its employees. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information that participants consider reliable.